the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Because, friends, we need to be broken people. We need to come to the cross, recognize our need of Jesus, that there's no saving us without us coming to the cross in our humility and need of Jesus. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, but we would love to see you there. And we will have details on that as we continue on with today's program. You can also watch the broadcast live, streaming at reachinghearts.org slash video every Saturday at 11. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentenko brings us the second portion of How God's Grace Changes God's People. We hope that you enjoy it. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. I was once in a minister's meeting. Yeah, it's funny how pastors sometimes like to show off like everybody else. After a few good testimonies, there were a few good ones, and a few not-so-good ones, a young pastor stood up who wanted to show up the rest of us all, to show him that this new young pastor was full of the Holy Spirit, that he could testify and teach the rest of us everything. I think the angels put their wings over their eyes and their ears. They had to endure it because they were assigned to that meeting that day we were all in. He would shout out loud, being saved, being born again. I'm certain he preached that way every week to his poor congregation who had to watch a narcissist in full motion every week. And then to make his powerful point, he took a chair and stood on it so he could stand over us all, as I just said, and he pontificated about the Holy Spirit, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he would say it in these kind of forceful tones, Holy Spirit, baptism. And I'd go, man, would the Holy Spirit like to be talked about? He's a gentle person. Just say his name kindly because he's here in the room. And then he boasted how good an evangelist he was in his local church. There was nothing born again about his presentation. It was hard for my ears to hear. It was so arrogant. You know, it's one thing to be excited. It's another thing to do it to make an impression. So he did to make an impression, swaying like he had a supernatural power in him, then to shout like other preachers have in other places. And then half the room of ministers started shouting too. That's what was disturbing to me. Amen to nothing. No content. Nothing really said. Just a bunch of hoopla going nowhere as there was no content to what he was saying about Jesus. Salvation, humility, the changing of the life. He stood on a chair standing tall, preaching like the Elijah the prophet, he thought. Yet someone needed to just pull him off that stage and show him Jesus Christ. To show him and share with him the humility and kindness of Jesus that every minister of the gospel must learn by mentoring under men of God. That wasn't happening in that meeting. Because, friends, we need to be broken people. We need to come to the cross, recognize our need of Jesus, that there's no saving us without us 
coming to the cross in our humility in need of Jesus. Friend, no one comes to Jesus Christ because they are good. Men and women come to Jesus Christ because they see the kindness of Christ in others. The kindness and grace of God brings the poor in spirit to Jesus Christ. How does the Sermon on the Mount start? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is the kingdom. Friends, we begin with humility so we can receive God's kindness. The prophet Zephaniah predicted that a meek and humble people will be saved by the Lord, not an arrogant, obstinate people. Zephaniah 3 verses 11 and 12 On that day, the last day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. In other words, God forgives us. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Friend, God raised up this church, our movement, our prophetic movement, at the end of the 23-year prophecy of Daniel 8, 14, as a prophetic movement to mentor the world in the law and kindness of God in Jesus Christ. The remnant church, Revelation 12, 17, will keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus. It will have the faith of Jesus and keep his commandments in Revelation 14, 12. That means it will love people. It will be kind to them. The law of love will be in their character. They'll be a kind people. The gospel is not about you and me. For many years I thought, well, if I could just tell people how good my church is, then people would come in droves. Friends, the gospel is about Jesus. It's about the truth of God and Jesus, that he died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised for our justification, sanctification. That's the apostolic gospel. The gospel that saves us is the gospel of God in Romans. That is the gospel concerning his son in Romans 1.5. And his son is Jesus Christ. When Christ is the focus of our life, when we live for others to reveal Christ in us for their sake, the hope of glory, Christ's mission is accomplished in our lives. Friends, Jesus is good news. I'm bad news. Jesus is good news. Our church without Jesus is bad news. When I look into the eyes of Jesus in my Bible, and I see him there, or in the book, The Desire of Ages, I see kind eyes looking back at me. What kind of eyes do you see when Jesus looks at you? I see kind eyes looking back at me. When I see Jesus bowing down to write in the sand, I see a broken and sinful woman getting up from the ground with dignity to go and sin no more, who can put her mantle around her and not feel shame anymore because she has come into contact with the eyes of Christ and the voice of Christ that says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I see tears in those eyes of the one who bled and died for me on the cross. I hear kind words from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's talking to me at the cross. And in the darkness of my cross, because we all have one, where no one can say anything, because ultimately his cross is our cross, I see the Shekinah glory of God shining out with ultimate light and kindness from the darkness of the cross. For there the love of God is clearer than Mount Sinai in the law. There it is the clearest. When I come to Jesus' cross, I see a man unlike any man I've ever known in my life. Why would Jesus die for me on that cross? Why would he shed his tears for me on my cross? Why would he bleed and die for me in the shame and jeers of the crowd that despised him when they should have admired him for his humility and meekness? 
I find myself at times in the crowd that put him there. Do you? I find myself in the mix of the crowd. But I don't want to stay in the crowd in my life. I want to leave that crowd and come to the cross. I am drawn to the cross in which Jesus died because there I find the highest ground that changes my heart and mind, that places me in direct contact with God, where I feel the truth about God, the Holy Spirit regenerating my life. When I began my journey as a pastor many years ago, I had grand expectations of myself, of what I would do for God. Pastor, is that normal? You get out of the seminary, you think, boy, I'm going to hit a home run for the Lord. That's normal, but I had that. Of what I would accomplish for God with my talents, God-given, of course. In the many years of fighting in the legal system to see this church go up, with many of you working right along with us, most of those dreams had to go. I had to let go of my professional dreams for God to get his way in my life at a deeper level. I remember for many a year mowing eight acres right here every week. where There was no church, just a big field without a church building. It arsoned our ministry center, our house, and I lost half of my library. I put the $50,000 recovery on insurance and went right into the building fund. And I was upset about that. I was you know, on that lawnmower. You know, people don't want to come out year after year, one day out of the week, and mow this place. And if you don't, you get fined. So I was mowing the yard. I remember praying to God about how mad I was at him that my dreams never came true. You ever prayed to God like that? Lord, why did you mess me up? Come on, anybody pray like that? Well, sure, some of you have. Well, I was praying like that. Lord, why did I get that Ph.D. I wanted? Well, I had a sponsorship. I came here, no Ph.D. While men with less talent, in my eyes, got it. Why did you put me on a lawnmower? Out here talking to you for a whole day, being mad about this whole thing. I remember asking God, why is it so hard to win a decisive legal battle to get this church built? You realize we lost everything until we won the last one. We were in court almost seven years. It was the last one, the big one we won. We lost everything before we won the one that mattered. But I wondered why he would delay things year after year as it just dragged on and hurt us all. Finally, it dawned on me the journey wasn't about the building. It wasn't about the Ph.D. I wanted to get. It wasn't about my dreams and my expectations of how I would succeed with my plans and my prayers. As I was praying on that lawnmower year after year, I began to sense in the field, in the open air, in the open air that God was with me. That I was praying for many hours and I needed to be with God. And God made sure I would be with God on that lawnmower praying. God had put me in a holding pattern so I could come to know Him better and to hear His voice. I prayed whole days on that mower. It took about 10 hours to mow this place. Imagine praying for 10 hours. And I felt God out there, as I still do when I pray and work for the church, pulling the weeds, whatever we got to do around here. I thought God should do things my way when I started the journey. I learned by degree that God is the only way and that God is the joy in the journey, that his kindness and his acceptance is worth more than all my dreams, all my notions, all my plans of what I should do or be for him. You see, what's most important in this life is where God is for me. God reveals his kindness. God changes us when we come to him. God allows difficulties so we will come to taste the kindness of the Lord. God breaks us to mend us. He wounds us to heal us. He lets us experience unkindness and injustice from others instead of griping about it so he can reveal his kindness and mercy to us and in us. 
And sooner or later, we're able to figure it out on our knees or by driving a lawnmower year after year. It's what it took for me. Learning that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, to Jesus, to appreciate the grace of God when the victories are manifested, but to love God in the journey to get there. Friends, God's kindness is what we really need in life. God blinded Paul so Paul could see God's kindness. He knocked Paul off his horse so that Paul could walk on his feet to Asia Minor and fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news. Paul mentored the timid young man, Timothy, so he would grow up to be a minister of God's grace and kindness and humility. Grace and kindness are the wings of the gospel that give the gospel message the much-needed lift to fly into other parts of the world. Friend, no one will ever come to Jesus and repent of their sins, and that includes you and me, unless they believe that God and Jesus is kind to them at the cross, kind to them in life, kind to them as their mighty high priest. And so Paul reminded Timothy to rekindle the gift of God by the laying on of hands that he might discover the powerful kindness of God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. I want to read down a little bit here. It says, Hence I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Do not be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel and the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not in virtue of our works, but in virtue of his own purpose. And here it is. And the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus ages ago. And now has been manifested. That's that mare word there again. It's the Greek equivalent. And now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. This week I was praying a lot about some things I can't change in life. You ever had things like that you've prayed about? Can't change them? You get whacked from somebody or some direction. You just can't fix it. And I was praying about changes I need to make in myself, but changes I don't need to make. Kind of getting hooked into a struggle that I didn't deserve, I thought. Friends, when I look at Jesus, there are times I don't like how I look. And I want to change to be more like him. I want to be like Jesus. I'm in a journey. I haven't arrived You know, I appreciate the fact that God accepts me every day as if I'd never sinned in that journey. And so this busy week of climbing on roofs to clean the church gutters was like climbing Jacob's ladder for me. I must confess, I need a little encouragement from God this week, so he allowed me to climb Jacob's ladder. I can pray on Jacob's ladder. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. I was at the church Friday morning with an inspector for the kitchen hood because we have to have that thing inspected twice a year, among many other things like that. And a text message came to me from my second mother. Mima is my dad's second wife. Her name's Margaret Jean. 
who became another mother in my life by God's grace in all our lives. She is the kindest person I know in our family. And she has the spiritual intuition in her that knows how and when to send a note of encouragement at just the right time to give the soul a lift. I think the Holy Spirit just talks to her in her house. She starts writing a card, puts a message, or she sends a text message. It comes perfectly on time. Do you have someone like that in your life who encourages you in a godly time? She did it for me this week, just yesterday. As many of you know, God led me to my father just before he died. I was 15 years old. I was hearing the voice of God. I lived in a situation as a young person that was horrific. I had friends who were murderers. I'd been arrested as a young person. I lived in Appalachia. I tell you, where I lived is as bad as the inner city of New York guaranteed. And God, in his mercy, visited me. I could feel God drawing me out of that awful place. As many of you know, God led me to my father just before he died. I was 15 years old. My father was a broken young man. He died in his early 40s. I was a lost son because of him. He made bad choices. Facing the prospect of his future death, he had gone to one clinic after another. He had liver disintegration from medication he had taken as a white coat and from alcohol abuse. And he realized he didn't have long to live, maybe a year or two less. And he was praying that God would find his children. He would find them. He would help him to save his family. Now, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you've done in life. When you pray a prayer like that, the Holy Spirit's working in your life. The Holy Spirit wind is blowing your life because it's not about you anymore. It's about others. And my dad had come to that point in his life where the Lord was saving my dad. He was praying for me, and he was headed toward a hospital down in Arizona to die, a VA hospital. He got wind that maybe we would be in the area, in the Fletcher, North Carolina area. He turned around, drove his car back. I didn't know any of this was happening. When I arrived on campus at Fletcher Academy, my first day with my dog, Fang, my best friend, they allowed my dog to stay or I left. And I learned that very day that my father was in the hospital of Fletcher Academy dying. A father I had known since I was a small child. A father's name who I knew, but whose face I couldn't really remember that well. And I moved into that room not knowing what to do. I arrived just in time for his anointing. The man who had baptized me was there in that room with others, anointing my father. I hadn't been in church. I was scared of preachers. I didn't like Bibles, but I felt God drawing me. And I remember just falling to my knees in that setting and feeling the power of God, that God was doing something, not knowing who he was altogether. I'd grown up with resentment against dad, but suddenly I felt that resentment had no place in a place where suddenly you met your father. Holy providence was in play. And so I felt drawn to God. My dad had felt drawn to God. My dad, in the two months before he died, led me to Jesus Christ with the book Steps to Christ in his own testimony. He told me of God's forgiveness in his life. He said, I tried to work my way to heaven. I wanted to be a perfect member of the 144,000. I was so sure I'd be one of the sealed saints. And when I tried harder and harder and harder, I fell more and more and more. And I left you all. I wrecked our lives. He said that. He was a father I barely knew who was reaching out to me, contextualizing the sin that had left my life in a vacuum up to that particular point in time. I remember going up to his hospital room whenever I'd get out of school. Forget the homework. I went up there and I would sit and listen to him hour after hour as he said, God is not arbitrary, unforgiving, and severe. And he quoted a theologian who was a very kind man but had pretty 
awful theology in the sense it wasn't consistent. So my dad's theology was flawed. His arguments were a little off. But he had the kindness part of God right, dead on. He realized that God had been kind to him. He shared with me that for all his life, he did not know that God was kind, that God was forgiving and tender. He learned in the church that God is harsh. He tried to keep him out of heaven during the time of trouble. Somehow that investigative judgment thing was against him, not for him. He had been working hard as a Christian, he thought, to please God, to gain final perfection, to be one of the 104,000. And yet he did not know that God really loved him at the beginning and in the journey, that God was kind to him. He shared with me that in his long struggle with illness, the kindness of God had led him to know God. He had found that God had forgiven him of his sins. And I became a Christian at a week of prayer just before my father died. And I was baptized that year after my father died, baptized in Jesus Christ because of the kindness of God. My father won me to Jesus Christ with kindness. I had a long way to go, and I still do. There are times that I am not kind. This supernatural meeting up with my father changed the course of my life forever. And so this week, as I was struggling a little bit, my other mother wrote to me this kind letter that reminded me of God's kindness in my father's life and my life. And I'm going to read it to you. She said, Dear Michael, I just wanted to thank you for coming into your daddy's life so near the end. I know that he longed for that day and prayed that it would someday happen. And how I thank God for that, Michael, he didn't let him die without you. And in his providence with love and forgiveness, you brought your father to the place that your heavenly father was waiting to fill. As we go through life, all we can see is the next step we are taking. But as we look back at the footprints in the sand, we can truly see how God has led us in the past. Your daddy had to hold on until God brought you into his life. He was dying. He was trying to stay alive. He did. He survived. He died two months later. Your daddy had to hold on until God brought you into his life. And praise God, he didn't let him go until that miracle happened. And as I'm remembering that night, 43 years ago, it still hurts to think of it. But I'm praising God. And I just want to let you know as we come closer to the day, when we will then see face to face, that I thank you for your love for God and your love and forgiveness for your earthly father. For so many years, it didn't make sense to me. Psalms 116.15, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. But now it's some of the sweetest words in the whole Bible. I love you and thank you for your love and forgiveness. Yes, I believe your daddy will be a star in your crown. And can I believe that you may be a star in his crown also? God is so good. I can't wait till your daddy meets you and all your precious family in heaven. With love, your other mother, Margaret J. Peter came to know in his walk with Jesus that God's kindness is sweet like honey. I would like to end with the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 1-3. Let's open our Bibles. So put away all malice, all guile, and insincerity and envy and all slander. Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. And I like this part. For you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. Friends, we have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. 
let us love each other. Let's love the world that Christ sent us to save. And let's let God love us. Fair enough? I mean, God loves you enough to save you, to pardon you, to justify you, to accept you in the journey, not at the end of the journey. To accept you right now as you move through life. And friend, we're going to live in a kingdom of kindness where forgiven people will cast their crowns at the foot of Jesus, where smiles will live forever, where love will be the rule, where people who have done awful things leave it far behind, and we live forever and ever and ever and ever in a kingdom of kindness. Dear Father, I am so happy today because I live in a place full of people who love you, where the kindness of God has been manifested. And Father, I pray that you will give every heart a lift today. May they leave this place knowing that in Jesus their sins are forgiven. In Jesus they are accepted at the beginning of the journey through life. And in Jesus they have been saved so that God can show his kindness in their life. Father, may no pessimistic attitude overtake any of us that somehow we are victims in our walk with you. That we are not. Father, we are saved by grace so that you can show your kindness. And Lord, I end this prayer by asking you to help us show our kindness, your kindness in us, to others. So there is no contradiction that the kindness we receive is the kindness we give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message was entitled, How God's Grace Changes God's People. And you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Thank you so much for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.